Welcome to Musicians Versus the World, the podcast where we explore aspects of music and musician life that may not have been covered in music school. Today I have joining me Jennifer Eklund, and she's here to talk with me about her composing and about publishing in the digital world. And I'm very excited to hear from her and to get a little bit of insight into her business and into her composing and how she has propelled herself in the world of educational music. A little bit of background about Jennifer. She holds a bachelor's degree in music with an emphasis in performance and pedagogy and a master's degree in historical musicology from California State University, Long Beach. She's an avid arranger, composer, and author of the Piano Pronto Method Book series, as well as a wide variety of supplemental songbooks for students of all ages and levels. So Jennifer Eklund, thank you so much for being here and welcome to Musicians vs. the World. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. And I'm looking forward to a good conversation. I am too. I am too. Like we were talking a little bit before the show, um, my students absolutely love your music. It really helps to motivate them and make them sound really good. And it makes them enjoy playing and enjoy practicing. So I really am excited to talk to you a little bit about your about your composing process and about your publishing company as well. Well, that's uh, it's great to hear about your students. I know that um, when I started writing, it was really out of necessity. I was, you know, a piano teacher for 20 years before I retired and just did um, publishing full time. And I know I just would get, you know, kind of bored with the same old materials, you know, using them over and over again. And so that's really why I, I started writing. And it, it's always fun to see, you know, the delight on children's faces when they actually like what they're playing. And so it kind of all just snowballed from there. What was the first piece that you wrote? Oh, gosh. <laughs> well, I, I, I will uh, make a confession right up front. I, I much prefer arranging over composing. I kind mm -hmm. of... I kind of did composing because I had to. Um, so really, I I started much more as a as an arranger, arranging um, you know like classical tunes and whatnot, stuff that you wouldn't find in your typical method books. Um, right. So I so I started there. So I don't know something something along that line was probably first, um, and then further down the road, um, I sort of saw the necessity to also write original pieces because you can't really just be an arranger. Uh, I wanted to sort of sort of spread my wings. So uh, I have this little piece called Endgame that I think they're going to put it on my tombstone. <laughs> She's the girl who wrote <laughs> Endgame. Um, and that's, uh, you know, if I'm a one hit wonder, and that's my one hit, then then so be it. I think every single one of my students, especially <laughs> the boys has played Endgame. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not surprised. I've written a million versions of it. I like to sprinkle it into to other pieces. I just released a Halloween book, um, and one of the pieces in the Halloween book is called The Mountain King's Endgame. So it's a it's a mashup of Hall of the Mountain King and Endgame together. Uh, so you know, it's kind of become my my little signature. Um, you know, hopefully be a nice running joke later in my life. <laughs> <laughs> well, Hall of the Mountain King and Endgame. I don't think you can go wrong yeah. mashing those two together. No, not really. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me the story of Piano Pronto. How did, so not only is it's a method book series, but you also yeah. turned it into a whole publishing yeah. empire. Yeah, it's a, it's all, it's a whole thing now. It's a whole brand. Um, okay. So originally, and you know, I forgive me to your listeners who have heard this story a million times because I tell the same story whenever I get asked this question. Um, I, 20 years ago, um, I sort of took a leap of faith and I moved to Sweden. Um, with a 
with my fiance at the time. That's a whole other story. Um, but I, <laughs> I moved to, I moved to Sweden. I, I was about three years through my bachelor's degree and I decided to take a gap year and I moved to Sweden, um, started at the conservatory of music in Stockholm, hated it, decided I didn't want to be locked in a practice room eight hours a day. It wasn't my thing. So I went and got a job and I was working as, um, I was first the outside girl at a preschool, an international preschool in Stockholm. And they catered to kids who were living in Stockholm and their parents were working for the cell phone company, Ericsson. Okay. So it was this mishmash of kids from all over the world. And uh, my boss kind of figured out that I had more than a couple brain cells to rub together. And she said, hey, I want you to implement a music program here at school. I was like, great, get me inside instead of being outside with the kids. <laughs> and so... <laughs> Here I was in Sweden. I didn't have any of the materials I was used to teaching. There was like one music store and all the books were in Swedish. So I bought a copy of Sibelius notation software and I started writing music. And that's really where it started. So I was, you know, arranging um, folk tunes and whatnot for use with these kids who ranged from age like two and a half to eight. Um, we barely all spoke one language between us. You know, these kids were splitting sentences between like five different languages. So as a teacher, it was, it was incredibly challenging and rewarding. Um, and also it was fun for me as a writer because I could test drive all of this material on these kids right. from all sorts of backgrounds. And what I found was that, um, these kids, they all knew these same melodies. They meant something different and all of these cultures had different lyrics, had different contexts and whatnot, but the kids knew these tunes. And so it was the one way that we could get over the language barrier that we had with each other was through the use of these familiar tunes. All these kids knew Jingle Bells. Um, they knew it for different reasons. And again, in different contexts from, from their different cultural backgrounds. So that is really where the Piano Pronto method started was when I was working at that school. Then I came back, finished my bachelor's degree, and I, I took about six more years to finish the series. And I was back uh, in California teaching my own students and road testing the materials on them. And so mm -hmm. I finished the, the original series back in 2008, I think. Um, so that's really where, where it started. And I tell you, uh, to anyone out there who's ever thought about writing a method series, just be ready to like, you know, spend years of your life doing it because it sounds good on paper. I've heard a million teachers say, oh, if I wrote a method, I would do this and that and the other, which is fine. Um, but I tell you, you're really tired at the end of it because it's a, <laughs> it's a, it's a long slog. And so I, I hit the, the end date and I was like, okay, cool. I wrote method books all right, I'm tired. I'm going back to grad school. <laughs> and so that's oh. what I did. I went back to school for a couple of years, finished my master's and then discovered that academia is not my world, not where I wanted to be. And um, so I, I had started a PhD in musicology even. And then I was really like, oh, this is not my thing. I am, <laughs> I am, I am going to make a run at publishing. Like I'm really going to go for it. And so so I quit my PhD program and that's where like the brand really started. And I started just hustling more and more trying to, um, you know, social media at that point was still sort of in its infancy. This is around right. 2011, 2012. Um, mm -hmm. Even Facebook was, was just sort of becoming more of a thing. 
And so I really started reading up on marketing and, and all of the other stuff. I mean, that's the tough thing about publishing. And I'm sure we'll talk about this is that the writing is, it's hard enough if you're writing a method book series, when you're writing, you know, pieces and songbooks and whatnot, that, that can be really fun, but that's the most fun you're ever going to have in this industry because that is the fun part. And I would say it's five to 10% of the total product. Then you get into all of the other stuff. And the other stuff is where people always fall short, where, which is usually the reason they don't have a lot of success at this because it's a long slog. And so anyways, that is, that is sort of the, the reader's digest version of, of how I got to, to being, you know, piano pronto as a method book series. And then we sort of mushroomed out from there. So you decided that academia wasn't for you and you're like, I'm going to go for publishing. What even put publishing into your mind? Was it from the method book? Yes. Um, I wanted to be selling more method books. So when I originally finished the books, um, even online sales channels were not really a thing back in 08 when I finished. So like I was selling hard copy bound books on eBay. (laughs) That's where I started. And I had a really janky website, like the original iteration of the Piano Pronto website. Um, You know, all the books they were all coil bound. We were like binding them at my house <laughs> and we were like that for a very long time. And so everything sort of, sort of just started to, to mushroom, but like digital publishing was really not a thing back in 08. And so we had, you know, just a very um, sort of uh, cryptic method of doing it, but we started. And so really when I decided that in 2011, so a few years later, when I decided that I wanted to, to give publishing more of a, of, of a go, you know, things had come along a little bit, but still had a long ways to go. So uh, I feel like I got in kind of early on that, the whole did. digital digital sheet music, digital books. And uh, it's taken a long time, too, for, for teachers to realize that that's really where where the industry is is headed. Um, yes. Just, just on a, on a tangential note, especially in today's times where things like paper and stuff like that are just getting extremely expensive, hard to source, like over the last uh, two years, obviously with COVID um, this industry in terms of the print industry has become extremely challenging. If I was in this environment, in terms of how long it takes to get something printed and to produce a product, um, I would not make the same decision that I did back in 2011, because really? it, is an, it is an entirely different world today in 2022. Things have gotten uh, extremely uh, challenging. Yeah. 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 To start out right now. But you yeah. actually really very much were on that forefront of digital publishing. So was that out of necessity or were you just seeing, oh, this is the next thing? This is the next generation? Um, I don't think it was foresight. I think it was just a matter of I wanted to offer. I'm all about options, uh, even mm. with my even with my writing and the flexibility in my books. I always tell teachers, I don't want to tell you how to teach and I don't want to hold your hand because I know as a teacher, I like to do things the way that I liked to do them. So I always build, build in a lot of room for creativity um, for the teachers. So it's sort of the same thing in business. I wanted to be able to reach a worldwide audience mm-hmm. and shipping shipping is very expensive um, yeah. outside, of, outside of the US. So really digital was just a nice way to sort of expand the horizons and to be able to reach people all over the world, um, you know, any time of the day, 
uh, which, which is also great. Um, so yeah, it was really sort of out of necessity. It's not that I had some great vision of, yes, we shall have <laughs> digital music and we shall only have digital music. Um, it just sort of, sort of evolved that way and was just another way for me to offer lots of options to people. Yeah. And it's been wonderful for people. And you're right. I think it has been a little bit slower um, with some teachers. And I'm just thinking about competitions and auditions. Yep. They've been a little mm -hmm. bit behind on digital music. Um, yeah. And they're coming around now. Oh, it's, yeah, it's gotten so much better. I would say five, six years ago, when I first started submitting um, our pieces, my pieces and the composers we represent um, to like National Federation Music Clubs, when I first uh, submitted to their bulletin back in, I think, 2015. Digital was not anywhere on their radar. Um, festivals were still like, no, we don't know what this is. This looks illegal. This looks bad. Take it away. Now, like in the second and the third submission periods, like digital is everywhere. Right. They have, they were about four or five years behind, but right. I think too, just as everything's evolving in the community, they realize that like, they have to be willing to accept this. And, um, you know, for instance, when people buy digital sheet music from us on the Piano Pronto website, um, their, their purchase is stamped with their name, their order number, and the type of license mm -hmm. um, that they have on that sheet music. It's all very, very clear. And I rarely get emails anymore from teachers who say, oh, you know, the judges didn't accept this at the festival or, or things of that sort. They really have, uh, everyone has sort of evolved, even if we're all on a little bit different timetables. <laughs> well, we have to, not even just with the publishing, but with the way that music is streaming, everyone, everyone yeah. to survive in the music industry is having to go, mm -hmm. really has to accept digital and, yeah. and technology really. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned the licenses. Let's talk a little bit about the different types of licenses. When yeah. you have a physical book, it just says mm -hmm. on the bottom, copyright, all rights reserved, yeah. no photocopying. Mm -hmm. Digital, mm -hmm. it's a little bit different. Can you explain mm -hmm. that a little? Sure. So um, with us, we have two different license types. Um, we have single use licenses, uh, which is basically you either as a teacher or as a person, you buy a piece of music or a digital songbook, and that's for your single use. And that's it. We give you the right to print it, to download it. And that's just just for you. Um, we also have what we call unlimited reproductions license. And this is what uh, teachers often refer to as a studio license. Um, I kind of use that verbiage interchangeably. Basically, uh, we allow you to pay a higher price point up front, and then you have the right to make as many copies uh, for your students within your studio for life. That's why you pay the higher price point. And it's really a convenience thing. Um, right. I know that a lot of teachers, you know, if they have a book that they really like to use, they'll go ahead and get a studio license of it because it doesn't mean that you have to assign the whole book to a student. You can use portions of the book. You can just, you know, print a couple songs from the book. And what this really goes back to is how I used to like to teach when I was still teaching is that I like to just grab resources from a bunch of different places, but I didn't want to have to make students buy like 18 different books because I wanted to use two songs <laughs> from each book. Right. And so I, that's really, um, I, and I forget who it was, but it was a customer many, many years ago. I think it was back in 2011 or 2012 when I was, you know, sort of out marketing myself all over creation. She said, you know, it'd be really nice if we could just pay a higher price and you let us like use the book forever. 
And I was like, oh, that's a great idea. How are we going to implement that? And, you know, figured it out and then saw that this, um, the studio licensing was really, really popular. I think only mm -hmm. myself and maybe Wendy Stevens at the time were, were doing this. And I really think like it sparked something because I think all of a sudden teachers realized that, wow, I can really customize like the types of materials and the pieces that I want to have in my library. I can have it right there on my computer. Right. So when I need something, I know that I can legally go ahead and print it. And with the new iteration of our website, actually, um, my genius husband, who does all of our website stuff, he actually has a whole license management system on our website now. So you can actually, within your account profile, you can have all your students there and you can actually assign music, like studio licenses that you purchased from us. You can assign it directly to students. It emails them the music. They can download wow. and print it right from their email. Um, it took us a long time to figure out all of the ins and outs of how we wanted this to work, but it's been fantastic. And I think it's um, a really nice way for teachers to have that peace of mind that they are doing the right thing, that they, right. they own those studio licenses, and then they can just, you know, at will, they can assign um, pieces and books out to students directly via the website. So it's a really, it's a really exciting time. And I think the flexibility in licensing is really nice. One last thing about the licensing. We also thought, well, you know, it's nice. Sometimes teachers, when they buy a new piece, they, they're not sure how much they're, they're going to want to utilize it. So we actually have a, we have a studio license upgrade program as well. So you can buy the single. So you can, let's say I write a new piece and you're like, oh, I want to try that out. I'll buy a single use copy. Then mm -hmm. you discover it's the greatest thing since sliced bread and you want to use it for all 85 of your students. You can come back and buy the studio license, and then we credit your account for whatever you paid for the single-use license. So it's sort of a, a try before you decide to upgrade program, which has also proven to be really valuable for teachers. Oh, yes. That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that flexibility is really, really valuable, and that creates yeah. a loyalty with your customers as yes. well because they know they're being taken care of and getting quality yes. music as well. Yes. And you as a teacher, I really, I like the trickle down concept. I like thinking about the teachers because I, I lived so long in that mindset, but I know that teachers appreciate the flexibility because it makes their business stronger. You will yes. always be successful as a teacher if you are flexible and you have a lot of tools in your toolbox. And for me as a teacher, that meant being able to teach lots of different styles of music and being able to customize to each individual student and what they like to play, because that is really the key to keeping students. So right. our our sort of our brand goal with Piano Pronto is to just have a lot of choices. So mm -hmm. teachers can can do all of that mix and matching in the easiest possible way. We have a lot of choices for a reason, and it's because choice is a good thing. If you keep teaching the same pieces out of the same books over and over and over again, your studio will stagnate. And mm -hmm. we don't want that. We, we want to keep you fresh and we want students to have fresh options available. Mm -hmm. Yes. And then trickling down to that, it teaches our students to be flexible. And because yes. as they go on to become musicians, especially pianists have to be extremely flexible and they have to be able to <laughs> yeah. play in so many mm -hmm. different styles. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. now speaking about licensing, you have you have some licensing on the opposite side as an arranger and you're working uh -huh. with musicnotes.com yeah. now 
as an yeah. arranger. So do you want to, how did that all come about? Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> my dream job has always been just being an arranger of pop uh-huh. music. Yeah. That <laughs> honestly, um, I think that has always been my end goal. When I, when I started Piano Pronto, um, I, like I said, I liked arranging more than composing and um, I would spend a lot of time arranging. And I really, my original goal with Pronto was that I was going to write this method book series that showcased my skills as an arranger. And then I was going to shop it to all the big publishers and they were all going to say, oh, we love you. Come work for us. And then they were going to let me arrange pop music. So that was sort of my my ulterior motive is that, you know, Pronto allowed me to showcase that I had chops in, in terms of writing. Now give me the copyrighted stuff so I can arrange that because I'm really good at that. <laughs> so that that didn't really work out is okay because I, I love everything that we've achieved with Piano Pronto and as a brand. Mm-hmm. So um, back in 2017 or so, I had started selling um, pop music through Sheet Music Plus. They had a, a program where you could arrange copyrighted things. Um, and I was doing pretty well. And I, I had reached out to Music Notes because really my dream was to work for them because I see them as sort of the giant in the industry right. in terms of digital sheet music for everything mm-hmm. that's current and not current. Right. And so I, I reached out to them and yeah, started working for them in 2018. Uh, so it's been almost four years now. I've got about 2,300. I've got t- over 2,300 pieces with them Wow. now. And I love it. That is my that is my daily grind. I try and write two arrangements a day and I write whatever I want, which is fantastic. They totally leave me alone. I so whatever I have an itch to arrange, if it's, you know, old 90s tunes or I've been really into yacht rock lately. So old like soft, <laughs> soft rock from the 70s and 80s. I see it as sort of my musical preservation project because there's so much great music that Maybe the stock sheet music versions aren't quite up to snuff in, yeah. in my opinion. Um, so I love creating um, new arrangements at different levels to accommodate students, um, you know, thinking about all age ranges as well, because I know a lot of people take up the piano later in life and, you know, want to play songs that are a little bit older. So it's mm-hmm. nice to have easy versions available for them. So, yeah, so. The copyright licensing, I let Music Notes handle all of uh, that complicated stuff, and they just leave me alone, and I just send them stuff, and they publish it, and and it's it is really my dream job, and I feel like all of the work that I've done for the 15 years leading up to that has been has been worth it, just to have that thing in my back pocket as as my side hustle. That's amazing, and so they take care mm-hmm. of all of the licensing, and you just write and send to them. I just write it and I send it and, and it's pretty fantastic. But I, I will say yeah. like, I, you know, it's a lot of, it's a lot of years coming. Yeah. <laughs> I feel oh, like no, every, yeah. every, every year I get a little bit better. I look at arrangements even from, you know, three years ago and I'm like, Oh, you know, maybe I, I wouldn't do that now if I was, you know, writing it today. So I feel in terms of like my evolution as a writer, uh, it's such a great opportunity to have. Um, because again, since I, I'm not crazy about composing from scratch, but I do feel like arranging is such an art and being able to put things into the hands in a hand friendly way that has always, you know, yeah. been something that I, I feel is something you either have that ability to do it or you don't quite get it. So I, um, I think as a writer, that is probably my, my strongest point. So yeah, right. having a ton of fun with that. So two arrangements a day. 
That's, yeah. that's really impressive. How do you do that? Like, yeah. what's your process? How do you, how do you do that? Well, it, I keep a running list of pieces that I want to arrange. And yeah. that usually, usually comes from my, like, I take a long walk every morning. So I'm always listening to music to sort of just kind of get my, get myself woken up. And so sometimes I'll, uh, you know, hear something on whatever channel I happen to be listening to. And so, yeah, I take a screenshot of it and I have just a huge list of screenshotted pieces. And so I look through that and kind of see what I'm, see what I'm in the mood for. And so when I say I do two arrangements, usually what I do is I write a complicated arrangement first, and then I'll do an easier version. That's sort of been, that's sort of been my, my routine lately. And I try and get that done by, done by lunchtime. And then I figure everything else in my day is extra credit after that. (laughs) So that's that's, amazing. uh, So that's, that's sort of the process. You get outside, you get the blood pumping, you listen to some music, and then you come in and, and write it all down. Wow. And so yeah. your goal in arranging these is to make it fit for pianists, make it fun and make it accessible yeah. for pianists of all ages. Yeah. And I think uh, one thing I really like doing, I like arranging things that from genres that you think might not work on the piano. You'd be surprised how many things work really well on the piano. And I like getting really deep into arrangements. So often in stock sheet music versions and for the layman, uh, just that just means whatever the publisher originally put out. Right. Um, and and I totally understand being a publisher as well that page count is usually you know important. And so with stock sheet music versions that get put out, there's usually um, a lot of repeat signs used for for multiple verses. And then often what happens is that you know like the melody lines don't really get switched out, even though the band is known for singing verses you know, different, differently Mm -hmm. each time. So since I don't have page count limitations, um, I try and go really deep and accurate on my arrangements. So if the band sings different lyrics the second time, and if that melody changes, I'm writing it out. You're not getting just a repeat sign. And then what I've really gotten into lately is like really writing out solo sections, uh, instrumental sections, like guitar solos and things like that, um, which is a really fun challenge for me musically. It keeps me really sharp. And I I like transcribing. And then I also just like that I know that in existence, there is a really complete version of, you know, whatever song I happen to be working on. And so it's nice for me. It keeps, you know, keeps my chops solid in terms of writing. And it's nice. It's kind of like being back in music school, you know, when you had to do, when you had to do ear training and melodic dictation and, and all of this, you know, fun stuff that they make you do in music school. Um, (laughs) so that's, that's really been my goal. Um, that I just like, I want to go beyond what's available in terms of just stock sheet music versions that I want to make really special, nice sounding arrangements that fit really well and easily into the hands. Yeah. Well, this is wonderful. I love hearing your story. I love hearing your approach to everything. Um, To finish up, what advice do you have for future or aspiring musicians? what would you tell them would be the best thing that they can do now in order to make a wonderful career as a musician? Okay. Well, career and musical enjoyment are two different things. (laughs) Um, Okay. I'm going to be careful with my words here. I would, I would go into, um, 
a degree program in music with very open eyes and a plan in place before you even start school. Uh, I will say that the majority, the vast majority of people that I went to school with at all levels, undergrad, graduate, even people who did PhDs or where I started my PhD, um, they all ended up doing things that had nothing to do with music. Oh. And I would, I would say the majority of them, it's because they went in without a plan. Um, I knew because I started teaching when I was in high school, I knew that teaching was my initial pathway and I loved it. I loved it when I was young. I loved doing it all through college. So I went to college and did a music program knowing that I already sort of had my career path in place. And so it gave me a much different perspective on what college was. I was not the person who went to college. I didn't live in the dorms. I commuted. You know, I went to community college first. Um, then I went to a stuffy school for a semester that I hated because um, it was clicky and it was very like, I think what a, more of a typical music program would be. So I hated it. I said, no, thank you. And I went to the state university up in, up in Long Beach where uh -huh. it was mostly, mostly commuters, which is great because I could keep teaching and school was just, you know, I wanted that piece of paper. I wanted to get the degree, but I already knew what I was going to do with it. On, on the contrary, I felt like most of the people that I went to school with, they had no idea. They had great dreams of, you know, being a famous singer and this and that, but they didn't really mm -hmm. have any plans in place in terms of how they were going to make money because that's, that's ultimately what matters if you're going to stay in this industry. Mm -hmm. So I would say going in with a solid plan um, is, is the best advice so you, that you don't end up wasting a ton of time and a ton of money. And as we all know, music degrees are very time intensive. <laughs> you know, you, yes. take a you take a zillion classes for one unit and, yep. and it takes forever. And I think the fact that I was working all the way through it um, just sort of helped me keep some distance. I wasn't just hanging around at school all the time. I had to leave because I had to go teach students because I had rent to pay. So yeah, go in, go in with a plan and, and open eyes. And if you don't think that you have a marketable skill already before starting school, I would suggest majoring in something else and minoring in music if you want, because there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with having music as a side hustle instead of your main hustle. I would say in order to be successful in music, you have to have an extremely high amount of drive. Um, and it has to go way beyond music. It has to be, you know, the curiosity to learn about marketing, to learn about business, to learn all sorts of things that you never thought you needed to know. For instance, in publishing, you know, I didn't know differences between paperweight and when I started like getting books printed, they, you know, I would get asked all these questions about paper and binding and all of this. It was like a totally different world. So I think the creativity of musicians can bode well for business, but you have to, you have to be willing to like, you know, go that extra mile and step outside of music. Because like I said before, it isn't all the fun of, you know, writing music and then you get money for it. It's like <laughs> a million things have to happen in between the fun part and the actual like career part. Yeah. So it's the same thing with school. A million things need to happen in your world to figure out like where your pathway is before you, before you graduate. 
Oh, that's excellent. Excellent advice. It's very practical advice. And I love that because I think we are taught often the music side of musician life, but that practical, here's how you make money. That's, that's what we need to talk about. And that's what we need to tell our students. Yeah. Yeah. And we have to be honest with them. I, I had a number of students, um, you know, who thought they were interested in doing a music major. And I had to be very frank with them and just say, number one, you're not quite at the level that they're looking for. And what would you do with it anyways? Because a lot of them, a lot of them said, you know, I don't want to teach. Okay. Well, you know what? The people who do end up with a degree, you're going to end up teaching. Yeah. The vast majority, let's be honest. That's, that's what you end up doing in some capacity. So if you already know that you don't want to do that, don't do this. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Have it be a, have it be a side hustle. Have it be a hobby that you love. Yeah. And not even, yeah. And it doesn't even need to be a hustle. It can just be a hobby, you know, just mm-hmm. because you, just because you took 10 years of piano lessons doesn't mean that you need to do music in college. You can just yeah. be an amazing player and have this amazing skill that you can take with you for the rest of your life to use as, as very cheap therapy. <laughs> when you, when <laughs> you, true. you know, when you need to calm down or, or whatever, or just, you know, just enjoy it. Um, you know, piano lessons don't always have to, you know, lead to something later down the road. They can just be. They can just be. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Well, thank you, Jennifer Eklund. Where can we find you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, pianopronto.com. Uh, that's where you will find all of our um, all of our fun stuff. I, I should mention really quickly, um, about uh, six, seven years ago, we started representing other composers as well. So we have a lovely, vibrant um part of our Piano Pronto brand known as Composers Community. Um, We have over 20 uh, very talented composers that we represent. It has been a really nice way to expand our voice um, because Mm -hmm. they all come from different backgrounds and have different writing styles. And so they have been a a wonderful addition to our brand. But we all live under the same happy umbrella, which is pianopronto.com. Uh, where you can see lots of, you know, previews of the music. You can hear full audio and watch videos. You can get lost on that website for hours. Um, <laughs> and hopefully, hopefully it's a good thing. We wanted to make it really user-friendly so that when teachers send their students there, they can, you know, just spend time uh, exploring and whatnot. Um, pop music, you find me at FM, as in FM radio, fmsheetmusic.com for now, but we're going to be rolling <laughs> all of the pop stuff underneath the Piano Pronto website hopefully this fall. Um, so we, again, we'll all be under that happy pianopronto.com, uh, umbrella. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Thanks for coming and chatting with me and telling me about all of these exciting things that you're doing. And I'm excited to look up some more of your music on music notes. And actually that mashup sounds really good for Halloween. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Could be looking that up too. So, uh, Jennifer Eklund, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for joining us today on the Musicians vs. the World podcast. If you have enjoyed today's episode and want to support the show, the best way to do that is to share it with your friends or leave us a nice review wherever you listen to podcasts. Musicians vs. the World is a production of Frosted Lens Entertainment in conjunction with Smith Sound Music. It is hosted and edited by me, Christine Smith, and our producer today is Russ Wilkes. A very special thank you to Jennifer Eklund for joining me in our discussion about her compositions, arrangements, and the world of digital publishing. If you'd like to learn more about Jennifer, 
her music, or her composer's community, I will have links to pianopronto.com, musicnotes.com, and fmsheetmusic.com available in the show notes on our website, frostedlens.com slash musicians versus the world. In today's episode, you've heard excerpts of Fading into Twilight and Strolling Down a Country Road by Jennifer Eklund. Both are found in her Dreamweaver songbook and are shared here with permission. If you have enjoyed today's podcast, please be sure to follow us on your favorite podcast platform so you don't miss out on any future conversations. And if you have questions for us, topics you'd like to hear about, or any helpful advice for other musicians that you'd like to share, be sure to reach out on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, or send us an email at info at Thanks so much and have a great day. <laughs>